Hello, everybody. Welcome to Industry Insider. This is a podcast that provides in-depth, one-on-one discussions about video games, game design, and an intimate perspective of what it's like to work inside the industry. Hosted by me, Dai, a professional game designer, here to conduct casual interviews, hoping to educate and inspire developers of varying skill levels and consumers alike. Today, we have a very special guest. I'm sitting down with Sev D. He's a world narrative designer at Fireslug, a London-based studio working on Ashbourne. He has worn another hat such as a systems programmer as well. This makes Sev a powerhouse in the studio when it comes to knowledge, experience, and abilities. We'll be covering a wide array of topics such as how he got his start, where he draws his inspiration, and ultimately what is necessary in the grand scheme of a game's narrative. We'll dance around a few other topics such as where we think the future of gaming will go and how we expect this generation to play out. So thank you so much, Sev. I really appreciate that and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much, man. Um, it's been, it's an honor, honestly, to be here. And look, thank you for reaching out to the little guys. Um, we all need voices and whatnot. And I like that you're doing this for the people who got their hands in the day-to-day uh, nitty-gritty stuff of the industry that isn't necessarily talked about all the time. Well, I think it's immensely valuable because... I mean, we're the ones that help put the Lego blocks together. We're the ones that are working with the, uh, I guess, the picture when it's all muddy and gray and uh, one pixel at a time, you know? It's easy to say, like, oh, you know, this is what the grand picture will look like when half of it is assembled or, or, you know, quarter of it is already in sight and we got sketches and, and blueprints out. But how is it when we talk to somebody who is there from the blue sky phase all the way to the end, right? And, and of course, yeah. since we've both been through these, these kinds of experiences, we also value that kind of experience and we value the, I guess, the end product so much more. And to me, I feel like games in general are, a lot of people, it's very easy to talk negatively about games, but it's, all, it's very hard to talk positively about essentially every game. Because at the end of the day, this is a hobby. This is a love. I was a gamer before I was a game developer. So I just love True. games in general Same. before, Same. you know, before I, I do anything else. So to me, when I talk about games, I just use my background um, to kind of give a little bit more flair to my, to my reasoning and to my likes. And, but I just love games in general. So I, yeah, man, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I was a gamer before I got in the industry. Um, and before I, you know, found my calling, I was also just a kid who loved reading his comic books and writing comic stories and, you know, the likes. So uh, being in an industry where all I've ever fantasized about is being able to tell compelling stories. It's kind of a, cheek slapping uh pinch me kind of thing am i really here so yeah and that's how i I feel especially since like a decade ago i was because i like went through my twitter and i was like some of the games that i was playing a decade ago were just coming out and i was like what 14 15 so to me it was like super exciting and super neat and now i'm well i'm on the other side and i'm still i find myself still so much a fanboy of games and 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 people in the industry and just like e3 and just like everything about the industry in general yeah yeah it's um once you get to the other side you kind of see just how uh 
how the cogs work. Um, and you get to see how these things build up to these reveals um, and how much work actually goes into it. And then suddenly you realize, oh my God, it isn't just a snap of a finger. And we get these massive, you know, experiences that wow us um, on the trade shows, but there are people working on the production side months in advance to meet a deadline just so that they could go over this. And then they have to have backup copies of these games, of these builds, to make sure that if there was any kind of, you know, um, bug that breaks the game while they're being played out on the stage, um, they have, you know, another set, another team playing mirrored the exact same thing that they've rehearsed, which is also um somehow miraculously um at the same time working with the people on the stage uh to you know at, at a moment's notice to make the magic happen and appear um what's the word uninterrupted so so yeah um <laughs> it's cool it's really cool to see stuff like that come together yeah and of course we've met i think i met you through a mutual friend, my friend Gaines, uh, he goes by Strictly on the internet, and Strictly Gaming um, reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, I feel like you and Seb would get along a whole lot, and I think you should... (laughs) Shout out to Strictly. You should hang out. Yeah, shout shout out out to Strictly. Strictly. And I was like, yeah, I would definitely definitely would love to hang out. And so, yeah, like I said, I've been a long-time admirer of you and your internet presence and just like, like your abilities and skills and knowledge. And I think that, I think yeah. I've known you for the better half of this year. And okay. so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's I been... feel, I feel, I feel very special, but I just want to say that I am quite literally just a bottom feeder. Um, and I'm not necessarily out here for the clout chasing or anything. Um, I've always been uh, a fan of video games and all i ever wanted to do was to make sure that i spread the gospel of the creative side and the technical side because um i understand it i've worked in it um and uh i think the more we're able to bridge that gap and relay knowledge even if even if it's uh even if it's addressing to the fanboys um you know there is there is news and knowledge for everybody to learn and i think if every if we're all learning then the game industry becomes less toxic less poisonous and a better place for new gamers to come in and everybody um you know could be far more kumbaya and more appreciative of the hard work that goes in not just from our contemporaries but for you know the fans too so and I and I love that like that the the energy you give off is something that I can only dream to match and 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 muster up myself. So I live vicariously through you and your internet presence. Nah, man, don't even front like that. <laughs> uh, it's cool. It's immaculate. I love it. But uh, well, yeah, it. let's get in straight into the first question. Uh, what is some of the earliest games that you remember playing? So, um, the earliest games that I remember playing um, would be Mario and Duck Hunt um, from Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I could remember 
I was six years old living in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, oh. when my uncle from uh, when my uncle who lived next door to my dad um, brought his Nintendo over um, and they were playing Duck Hunt. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a video game in my life. And my younger brother and I would be told to go to our rooms because we weren't allowed. So we snuck out um, and would just watch through this burgundy curtain. Um, and at one point, my brother, my younger brother was always braver than me. So at one point he came out and he was like, uncle, 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 um, can we play? And my dad was just like, no, go back to your bed. Um, you know, video games aren't for you right now. You're too young. And then they were just like, no, man, no, man. Love the boy, them. Love the boy. Um, let them, let them play. Um, and that was our first experience. And then after my dad saw how we got into it and how we were very much, you know, taking turns, my dad said, well, this is an experience for him to grow with his kids. And maybe three months later, he, we, we found out that we got, um, well, my dad always said he wanted to treat his older son. Um, but I knew it was just for me and my brother and my dad secretly because he loved his games and whatnot too. So he bought a Nintendo with Xevious from Namco, Legendary Wings from Capcom, and Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. Um, and then uh, it just kind of grew from there. I mirror that same sentiment and experience because when we i first immigrated to uh to america from vietnam my father basically was like well you're gonna stay inside and and hang out with your brother because you know obviously it's a we don't know the culture we don't know the world we don't even speak the language so he went right. to the flea market and bought a box of nes games and an nes and he you know he gave us wonderful games like you said um duck hunt and mario uh, Mega Man 1, 2, and 3, um, oh, Hollow Man, DuckTales, all of that stuff. And it was, and wow. I had, I think I had, I think I had Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, the gold cartridge, uh, which I don't, oh, re- wow. I don't remember having fond memories of because I didn't know how to play it, obviously. <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, cool, I got a bunch of these cool games. And then from there, I went to uh, Game Boy Advance, PlayStation 1, 2, 360, PlayStation 3, 4, and then of course I own a 5 now. Oh, yeah. So that's your gamer history. Well, uh, it was Nintendo and Super Nintendo, then a Super Game Boy. (laughs) The very first Nintendo Switch was a Super Game Boy. (laughs) Um, And then uh, from there, it was a Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. I did PlayStation, and then it was a Nintendo GameCube, and then it was an Xbox One, uh, well, PlayStation 2, uh, PS3, PSP, um, a Vita, an Xbox One for a very short time, and then uh, PS4, and then PS5, and I have a switch light right now um and i also have 
a um, a Series S, which is being criminally underused because mm-hmm. the games I want aren't available yet. So, uh, okay, I play most of my Xbox games on my computer. Plug up a controller. So I've been uh, there's only a handful of games that they maybe even one that are like console exclusives. I think that's Crossfire X, which uh, right we know about that at the moment. <laughs> It does not have my attention. <laughs> right, right. So, but yeah, yeah. let's. Uh, that that's thrilling. That's exciting. I have um, always admired games on in the 360 PlayStation 3 era. Is there an era for you that really, really noted like um, fond memories and just extravagant experiences? Oh, I will say that my. My gaming origin story, what got me into the, what made my mind, what made up my mind and allowed me to recognize the industry, the gaming industry as a canvas where I could impart my own stories was the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era. Um, And that was playing Uncharted, uh, Drake's fortune. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, I saw my future. Um, it was my coming to God moment. Um, and I didn't just see video games as platformers or anything um, with rudimentary stories. I saw video games as a medium that could potentially rival uh, the movie industry with how it tells its stories. Um, and seeing Naughty Dog and playing that kind of game and seeing how they took a realistic approach to video games and um, and trying to mirror the cinematics and everything. Uh, you know, for me, that was my, oh my God, people do this. I could do this. And I was in the military at the time when this was going. And I'd, of course, had a PlayStation 3 at launch. So... I'd already been fans of Insomniac with Spyro and um, Ratchet and Clank, and um, I'd already played Motor Storm, and I'd already played Resistance Fall of Man, and I was just like, oh, this is great, this is all good. But they still felt like games and not things that could impart meaningful stories until I played that. And then it was just like, well, how the fuck do I get in? Yeah, I think what um, what's my trajectory? How do I how do I start plotting my course to break in this? And you know, that's that led me on my thing. So that was in two thousand seven, mm-hmm. and fast forward to two thousand twenty at the start of lockdown was basically when I finally decided to shoot my shot. And you know, I'd already graduated from college at that point and was living in the UK. Um, and lockdown started and I was on furlough because I was working at um, a Marriott uh, in Edinburgh. And um, I put my, I assembled my little stuff, uh, put my digital portfolio and everything and was just say, hey, looking for work, this, that, and the third, all this other stuff. And then suddenly... People started, hey, 
we do this, we do that, we do this, we do that, 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 that. And um, a recruiter from Fireslug approached and was just like, hey, we're working on something. We liked what we saw. Let's chat. And the rest is history. Were you ever hesitant on taking the jump? Because I know when I was in, I don't know, around the same era, like 2007, uh, 2009 era, that Uncharted was, to me, clunky, and it didn't, it didn't really grab me quite as well, but Infamous was the one that really set me off. Um, okay. Infamous was like the, the marring between the comic book aesthetic to the moral dilemmas. At the time, I hadn't really, like, I hadn't really played something that felt compelling. Like, genuinely, because most of the times, like, the choices are, like, between A and B. Um, They feel very limiting. Those choices are very... um, They're linear um, and analog, yeah. They're sectioned off, and and then once you choose them, uh, they impact maybe one decision down the road, and then that's it. They're cut off, and they float into the ether, and you never think about them anymore. But here, it's like once you start compiling the decisions you can go back and forth you can change things you know um you can go a little evil and then you go a little good again and 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 it's like it won't impact your grandstanding it will impact you morally but not your grandstanding of in the city and the narrative and i just felt like that was just so it was so much more than a video game right i was like wow i'm i'm actually debating fictional people's lives and other things and that really kind of put me into this mental because at the time I was only playing shooting games so you know like um, teenager me uh, 10 year old me I'm like shooting games are great they're the best games on planet earth they're right. you know they you go through the same gameplay loop over and over between games and I think Gears of War was the only one that really kind of changed it but yeah. that was more like spectacle because it was all bloody and nasty and gross but it wasn't yeah. uh, I mean these guys I couldn't relate to Dom and these guys come on now yeah. so when we finally got to Infamous, it really dawned upon me. And then when Infamous 2 came out, they had like this level builder, which was like oh, yeah. super yeah, sick. Yeah. And, and it just felt a lot more intuitive than Little Big Planets. Yeah. And I was able to. It was to, easier. Yeah. Yeah, it was easier. Definitely easier. And I was able to kind of manipulate the camera and kind of see, like, oh, I have a, an environment, a surrounding. And, and that's where I really really kind of got into my brain that maybe level design at the time i didn't know what it was called i was like maybe Uh game development is something i'd like to do if it's if it's playing with tools like this and putting things together and and i was mind you i was trying to make complex ais like interact with each other and i was like oh well if i can do this like i'm sure i can learn and and build upon this and and it'll be obviously more difficult but I right. can do other things. So for your, for you, Uncharted, for me, it was Infamous Two, and okay. and that was yeah. And then once Kojima announced that he was retiring, I was like, man, I, I need to get into the game industry. I need to start making games because if Kojima's not making games after 2015, I'm screwed. So <laughs> that really that jump started. Like to me, that was like that was the moment where for you, you were like, I'm gonna come compile this portfolio. I'm on furlough. Blah blah blah. I'm like freaking out like oh my god i'm never gonna play a good game ever again so or like a super detailed video game ever again so i was freaking out on that front 
Oh wow! Yeah, no, uh, it's it's interesting to hear the the coming of age stories for people in the game in the game industry and how they how they each end up where they uh, where they are now. It's um it's a pretty it's cool what the uh, what's what lights that spark and what inspires them. And quite frankly, I hope that the next generation of game developers or something is happens from somebody playing a game with an impactful story that I've written. Um, and, you know, that's where I want to go. And that's the kind of thing I want to see. And that's the kind of thing I want to inspire. So, yeah. Do you think it's ever scary to think about, like, the stuff that you're making in a video game or the stuff that you're putting in is, like, wholly impacting somebody like Timmy from Idaho? He wakes up and I, plays it every day, and he's like, this is the best game on planet Earth. You know what? I, I want to believe that because um, there are things um, look, where I'll say this, and this is not necessary to just be because to get political or anything, right? But we are minorities in gaming. We're minorities, period. Um, we're underrepresented. We're, we're underrepresented. Up, we're underrepresented uh, in all forms of media. Um, and there are aspects of things that we want to see play out um, to inspire people like ourselves um, and the broader industry as well. Um, so it is a, um, it is a hope that um, we're able to leave a long, a long lasting uh, impression that somebody somewhere who doesn't know who we are, but will play this thing and have an epiphany or a moment and say, that impacted me some way. That made me want to pick up a comic book or read something or research this because I felt represented in this. And as a creative, um, or somebody that works within such a creative industry, that is the hope for me. And um, I hope that's the hope for anybody that's a creative that wants to do this. And not just for the people that are heavily represented, um, because the people that are heavily represented, uh, they do inspire us as well. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that, that that is something that's true. I know it's true for me because... I do want to tell, I want to be able to tell stories of queer people. Um, I want to be able to tell stories of the underrepresented, uh, black people, Asian people, all these multicultural relationships and have them play out and be represented. So it just becomes normal and nobody has to think about, um, oh, it's an Asian character or, oh, it's a black character or oh, it's a Spanish character or whatever. Um, or, or, or it's a queer character. Um, those kind of stories, I think, um, should exist. And until they become normal and nobody blinks an eye and it's not controversial um, to want that, then, uh, you know, um, I think uh, that is my goal, um, or at least one of my goals. You know, I want to be able to tell these impactful stories, but I also want to make sure that it hits home for not just the brother industry, but for the little guys um, who don't see themselves often um, and kind of wish that was the case, you know? So, 
Yeah, because often too too many times that I even find myself doing this. I was playing Horizon Forbidden West not too long ago earlier this year, and mm-hmm. it was like one of those, you know, there's no real right way to say it, right? So I'm right. sitting there playing the game, and then I was like, oh, cool, a black person. And I was like, really? It's 2022, and we're still surprised. Like, I'm still surprised to see it's Asian not people. Just, and, it's, and it's not just, oh, cool, it's a black person. Oh, it's, oh, cool, it's a black person done so respectfully. And it, wasn't, it was like, oh, cool, look at the details of how they're able to represent Asian people. Look at how this Latin person looks and the different hues and the skin and the complexity of it all. Like, my God we're really here where we're doing this and we have to stop and say, holy shit, they've put in work to do this. And these characters also end up being stars. They're side characters for sure. You'll forget about some, you'll forget some about, you'll forget about some of them. Right. But like that Marvel of just seeing the meticulous care and how they represent somebody um, and how you see yourself in it just kind of made you stop and tear up. Um, and it's not to say that other video games haven't done such a great job either, but like the sheer breadth and variety um, in every skin tone that was there was just crazy to look at. And you start to wonder, you're like, yeah, it's 2022. Why are we only just now starting to get really, really good looking culturally diverse characters in our video games why isn't it you know and why, isn't, only, why hasn't it been oh not only culturally diverse but like culturally accurate right so it's yeah, like somebody yeah. who is from this area wears yeah. a certain kind of clothes or like yeah somebody who is lives by the equator or somebody who lives in africa like their lips aren't the same tone as the, the rest of their skin or their eyelids are exactly. double or single yeah. eyelids if they're you know specifically asian or yeah. you know like yeah. it's it's just all the little nitty ditty nitty gritty yeah yeah it's, it's there it's, was you could there was definitely um you know we had uh we had what was it um fruitgate uh last year um and when fruitgate came about it was attention to detail um was the main discussion and i remember being on one of my on my friend crystal's podcast discussing this shout out to crystal if you're listening um uh you know her podcast kind of gave a deep dive into all the aspects of uh game design and what does attention to detail mean and it goes it's such a broad thing but like in this sense you know there was so much attention to the detail and how to accurately represent everybody um and it was that complete elevation of bringing everybody else up to the same standards that they would do for a white main character um you know and they didn't just spare any punches in this game with you know white females and white males but they went the extra mile to make sure black males black females um asian males asian females uh latin the whole nine everybody got the the good work and they stood out because they were made equal because it was the first time i think in a long while where characters just looked good 
and didn't look like um, a carbon copy, but with darker skin, you know, with a with a skin fade, with a different, with a new, with a black skin shader, or, um, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, like it just when when I see attempts like that, I I feel like uh, just just leave it at home, y'all. Like you know, thank you though. Appreciate the yeah. the yeah. hollow attempt. I think that's the the best uh, way to to say it. It's it's hollow. Yeah. It's yeah. it's empty. It's it's a, a gesture. I'm like it's cool. Yeah. But uh, you know you're gonna end up giving them a few lines and then moving on. And I'm like eh. exactly. You know it's it doesn't yeah. feel yeah. impactful. I can't relate to it even. You know, and and this is not digging on anything that um, on characters that don't have screen time, because there are plenty of care plenty of characters that we've seen in video games that do not shine on screen or do not have the screen time, but we are heavily invested in and 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 love dearly. Yeah. But sometimes when we, as minorities, see these kinds of attempts, it it, it feels empty and and hollow, and we just feel like it's um. If the character or wasn't you're there, just doing the check in the box kind of thing for, yeah, like hitting you a know. quotient. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like yeah. ah, yeah, yeah, we should do this. We should do that because that's that's no. It's like, it, again, like you were saying earlier, it's like there shouldn't be like a a moment of surprise. It's like oh wow, this is this this is a black person story. Like no, it should be commonplace. Yeah. It should just be like I open the game up and that should be it. Like when I walk yeah. outside, I don't proclaim that my neighbor is asian oh my god i'm so surprised my neighbor's from jamaica i don't say yeah. that i'm, I'm it's exactly. my neighbor you know yeah 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 so yeah precisely um and until we get to that point in all forms of media or in video games especially um you know i think my goal um and when they say, oh, you have a woke or political agenda. And I'm just like, well, no, my agenda isn't necessarily woke or political. It's just more of these stories. I mean, you could, you could argue that America. your entire existence make, make is, the world. Yeah. Is, yeah. is woke and, 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 well, quote, unquote, woke and political, right? Like, every yeah. day we wake up. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, so, yeah, my, my goal and my future aspirations is to be able to tell impactful stories that not just impact the broader industry, but the Timmys, the Quans, <laughs> <laughs> everybody, um, you know. So. Yeah. So I, I want to ask, like, what kind of resources have helped you along the way with that? Is there, I mean, obviously you're still on your mission, your mission statement, but is there something that you lean heavily towards? Are there games that you seek inspiration from? Are there kind of products um, that you think to yourself it's like this is um not revolutionary but this is inspiring this is uh stand so out there are games that have come out that have uh really lent themselves um to being open books uh and course studies um and every once in a while there's a game that comes out that does something that makes my head turn with and raises my eyebrow and I'm just like, well, what made them do that? And I play the game obsessively and I take notes and then I take it to, um, I took the game and I sat in with professors and theologists and people who understand the nature of writing and character development and all these things. And I have them study and ask them these questions. What is it that 
makes these things so compelling. And then, um, so one of those stories was The Last of Us um, for me. It was how they tastefully introduced um, different characters of the walks of life and um, made it that their skin color wasn't necessarily the story behind them, um, but also introduced other characters as well. And then within Last of Us Part Two, that was a case study for me in like subverting player expectations and, and environmental storytelling and how to build up the characters and how their moods, how the environment would affect their moods and stuff. And um, all the little nuances about what drives those characters and their motifs um, and their character actions and how they develop. Um, and there was arguably a very broad cast of people who were queer and um, who were queer in represent uh, in their representation and um, the type the type of stories that they were able to com compellingly uh, give. And um, I asked people who it affected most and when they realized how it was for them and was it effective and was it not effective or how effective was it for them and they were able to give me some valuable insights so um games like that um that are like hallmark uh stuff that would be case studies on how to do those kind of relationships and um it, i mean that's a resource in and of itself um and then there are other uh, things so like um, Black Girls Code. Um, mm -hmm. I've spoken to some people who do that and um, who are in that group. And um, you know, it's always nice to see uh, that their resources handed out to them with how they are able to get in into the game and industry, or even teach not necessarily people who want to get into the game industry, but teach people who did not know that they could code for a living. Um, and branch out and do things either creative or technical within the broader industry of um, engineering and programming and stuff like that. Um, and those have been valuable resources for me. And then, of course, queer people code and queer people game um, and just reaching out to people who have found strides from being represented and everything. Uh, one thing I'd say is uh, Fire Slug is pretty diverse um, with everybody that they've hired. Um, their main team is like 28 or so people um, from all over the world and they're queer, they're trans, they're black, they're white, they're, um, and they're Indian, um, they're Muslim, they're everything and they all have this thing where they're contributing and it's not just hiring for a quota but it's to make sure that everybody feels wholly represented and there's corners and stuff for everybody to come in and host things and sit down and talk about their experiences and how they could bring in more people and inspire and stuff so like that well, was one of the biggest draws of why i liked uh of why i liked fire slug and the people that are there um and you know really good friends with the the head of the team who's working on Ashbourne and whatnot and mm -hmm. you know so yeah it's uh, those are those kind of resources uh, that has been helping me uh, inform and helping me with my mission statement um, and you know and a lot yeah. of people don't like to not admit but don't like to kind of see how sometimes when you're hiring just specifically for 
um, what's it called? Quality and like statistics, right? Like if you're qualified oh. for the job, it's like it, it's it's wonderful. But diverse diversity right. hiring is very very important because a lot of the time underrepresented groups and and especially in the game development industry. It, they don't yep. get a chance to get to those higher positions. They don't get a chance to prove themselves and, and, and build that experience. They, to be quite honest, most people don't know that they could do all these things. So it's funny because I went home to Florida to go visit my parents during the midst of when the when my divorce was um, fresh. And one of the, you know, my parents just made a, little quip while we were at a party and whatnot and their neighbor was a was a young black kid about 16 and they were talking about video games and they my mom just made a mention that oh yeah, my son makes video games and the kid literally stopped and said you you make video games how what what do you do and suddenly it became this conversation where i had a shadow and the kid was asking me all these different questions and he was just like wait, I could write stories and be a video game designer? And I was like, yeah, we call that storyboarding. We call that narrative writing. Um, there are positions in video game. Uh, there are whole teams that are built around storyboards. And making a storyboard also means drawing 2D, um, very rudimentary 2D action scenes with little captions of keyframes that are most important that you want to see. And there the kid was just like how did i not know this and those are the things about the resources that are just not given to everybody right um that information is very it's scarce within the game industry itself right um it's scarce within the game industry itself um because people know that that not many people know that you could become a storyboard artist for media but like that's if you're telling a story, you need a storyboard. You need your story panels of all the key frames and the key descriptions about these things and key lines of dialogue um, and resources like that aren't given out or freely told to people who honestly have a talent for stuff like that. Um, and the kid was just like, well, I draw them pretty good. I do my comic panels and everything. And I said, well, bring your comic panels and apply. Apply to this place. Apply to that place. I can point you in some directions. And they're just like, oh, wow. I said, you're too young to maybe work it there and to get a full-time job like that. But, you know, you could do some internships. You're 16. You're about to finish. You're about to finish high school and start college. Like, this is this is a easy jumping point for you. So, like start creating your your portfolio now and i said if that was me at 16 i'd be deep within this industry much much earlier i'd probably be a creative director at this point writing my first last of us or something you know so like um it's these opportunities um that people don't know about and the people who do know about it don't necessarily share how share um the steps that could so um the steps that could put these people in and then that also helps with diversifying your thing because the more people know the more that knowledge is shared and you have not just candidates who are underrepresented but you have candidates who are 
hungry and easily just as talented as their compatriots and their contemporaries applying for these things. And suddenly you don't have an issue um, doing diversity hires just because you have to do diversity hires to bring in more talent and diversified stories, but because everybody's there. And that's the problem. These resources aren't readily available and they're not spoken about. So, and there are more instances like this across the industry, um, you know, with things that people could do. They just don't know that they could do it and get paid for it. So, yeah, and that and that's again, that's one of the most important parts about getting these resources out, getting these positions out, getting these hires out. Because again, if we just hire through highest qualifications, there is a yeah. a, a list of things that you'll be missing nuance wise when it comes yeah. to narratives, when it comes to designs, when it comes to yeah. you know cultures and and creativity. Because there's so yeah. much, so much that impacts creativity. And not just, yeah. uh, you know, how many years you put into school. I went to school for yep. something completely different. I, I was a completely, like, analytical math and numbers kind of person. I went to UC Berkeley for uh, theoretical physics. I right. never in a million years would I ever be thinking about how I could apply math to making games, making levels and blocking things out to make sure that enemy placements are in the right place or these these visu right. visual and audio cues are in the proper place so that the players if they're standing here from from you know right. if they're standing this far from the objective they're still able to get a hint of where to go and and and, and where to be never in a million right. years would i've done that and the same thing for you if i knew that information at 16 i probably yeah. would have conquered the world by now i probably would be yeah. the next neil Druckmann, you know you know, yeah, or Kojima, or Hideo Kojima, or, you know, Hideo Kojima. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating hearing about uh, your studio and, and, and how diverse and just how the talent is. I do want to kind of diverge a little bit. I wanted to ask, like, how was your first day at the studio? Was it nerve-wracking? <laughs> we were remote. Was it? We were remote. Um, okay. We were remote. Uh, we still are. Um, uh it was chill, but I was a nervous wreck myself because mm -hmm. I just didn't know what I was, what was to be expected and whatnot. And it was literally just, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. What do you think about this? How would you approach this? And what was that? And um, uh, you know, it was it, it's cool because uh, that still happens to this day with everybody. Their questions aren't necessarily. You know, and it's like, I'm good at coding, um, but I hate it. I, am, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm good at coding, but I hate it. Um, when I first started, uh, one of the things that they hired me for was the fact that I was able to translate the technical to the creative and the creative back to the technical and how it works. Um, I see, I see the gameplay in the code um and i see the code in the gameplay um and the visual aspects of it come to me so i you know i'm able to visually direct and whatnot which is why i've kind of been pushing to go far more into the creative side because i get more interactions and i get more fun out of translating the well, translating 
what it should feel like and what it should look like to the uh, to the coders and the engineers. So, um, uh, but that kind of dialogue and everything still happens with everybody, um, and that's just kind of how the studio culture works. Everybody's able to give something um, and easily translate it because we don't necessarily just want to talk in mumbo jumbo and the technical and the syntax, you know, the coders, the coders know how to talk the syntax. And they also, because they see the creative side and everything, they're able to translate that syntax into visuals or describe the syntax in a visual way versus describing it in a technical way. Um, and that's one of the cool things about this studio and how they work and how um, even the very technical person like Yash, who's the chief engineer um, in this thing, when he starts to talk modular and stuff like that and modular coding and modular programming um, and uh, malleable and uh, how structuring things in a malleable way, um, He's also able to finesse this and just also carry it in a way that makes even the people who are strictly on art and design look and say, oh, okay, I get what you're doing. All right, that's cool. Um, so, yeah, um, studio, I, I was a nervous wreck for like the first two days, and then the energy just kind of chilled out for me, and I was just like, oh, this is just a big old chat group um that's working on a video game and whatnot and this is video game design in a remote era affected by covid um and you know it's been cool did, did you find any challenges in in remote work yes i'm i'm yes. not a remote worker myself i love that face-to-face -face interaction I, I i crave it i need it well so because it was my first opportunity to work within the game industry um all my interactions have been with the team has been remote um with the exception of a few meetups where we've had where i've gone to london to meet the team and whatnot and just kind of hang out and all these stuff and um the challenge for me was um, uh, putting the uh, being able to be personal um, with being personal with them in person versus uh, over the internet because we've been largely remote uh, throughout that time. So it's like all that chemistry and everything that we've built up over the course of time and once lockdown finally started to release um, its locks gradually, um, did we start to come out and connect more and meet up and whatnot. And like that difficulty was like saying, oh yeah, you're Joel, you're, you're Yash, um, you're all these people, you're Norbit. Um, and being able to uh, replicate that, um, replicate that kind of chemistry in person after you've never really seen each other but heard each other's voice, then you're just like, oh yeah, this is this, and whatnot, and it just the the adjustment is whatnot. That was the challenge to get over and everything, but like, still a strong team, and there's each department is doing amazing things and uh you know so 
it was there was there a surprise like what what was the most surprising thing when you first started um how non-stressful it mm -hmm. was um obviously when we we still have our deadlines to meet and yes. whatnot and our i mean it's cool we don't crunch we haven't crunched mm -hmm. um we've put in hours and whatnot but we've never crunched um so uh i do know that it is easy i do know that it is it is possible to facilitate an, an environment where you can still be equally as creative and equally as uh powerful and equally as technical um and not work to stress yourself out and work unnecessary hours to get something done um but uh it's just been an interesting uh process in the fact that a we haven't crunched once and the team works hard but there's this respect of everybody's time and uh there's this support system that even if you're working on something and you're not quite sure um and they're not quite sure they all team up um and stop what they're doing to help elevate something to to help find a solution and this has happened in every department art writing um art narrative uh design engineering sound um all of those departments um have literally stopped you know or we're a very small team so in a small team you have your experts in that lead in a certain thing but they also have the subordinating this is the subordinating uh um talent pool and if one person can't find it then suddenly everybody else who has some sort of experience with something puts on that cap and they help find and sort that thing and i've seen it happen in the arts i've seen art people get in into coding and just like hey maybe if you tried this 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 or this and this and whatnot and then suddenly everybody's now elevated or that one person's work is now elevated and that much better um and that kind of thing is what's practically helped us to not crunch so much because everybody not crunch because everybody has is committed to putting on a new hat and learning something to elevate uh and get somebody out of a problem and then that kind of thing empowers us to want to do that for everybody else and help so we solve problems in it's an organic but in the most non-organic way you think about it um so yeah that's been the most surprising thing and how chill this environment it is and you're able to make mistakes and nobody gets on your case about it or whatnot so that's that's this is like... all happening this is all happening within deadlines and stuff like too so you know um that must be so yeah. relaxing like that must be that must feel like that must take the weight of like you know the the title the of like being a job yeah, like having takes, a job yeah it takes the anxiety off of um it definitely does take the anxiety of thinking that you have to carry something you're responsible for yourself mm -hmm. obviously everybody everybody has a thing that they're responsible for but then there's this thing where if you're not sure and you say hey i don't get this then it's 
okay, well, let's all make sure we get it together. And suddenly engineers are working with art people to get stuff done. And art people are working with design people to get stuff done. And design people are working with the sound people to get stuff done. And the sound people are working back with the coders to get stuff done. And it's just this, and the, you know, and the writers are working with these people and those people are working with the writers to get stuff done. So there's this really, really cool synergistic um, symbiotic kind of thing where if one thing is going, then a few people will merge into this one blob and eat the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's like, I, I call it, I like to coin it as um, the Metroid fusion uh, parasite uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parasite syndrome that we have working in the thing in that environment. So, yeah, because I found it often from my experience that um, it was like designers are like some of the worst people to take criticism from, and artists uh, are nigh impossible to get any criticism across to. Um, so it's, it's like it can, it can be because we don't like to kill our babies and we don't like to hear from other people that this is how it is but like mm-hmm. it's an interesting and humbling thing um, and that comes across basically how the leadership works um, nobody is too good um, in this studio anyway is too good to fail um, nobody is too good to be ignorant um and they were all humbled about it because they all just want to make a good product and they don't feel the need that we need to tear each other down mm-hmm. um and so the criticism is if the criticism the criticism will never come from something um malplaced because the person that's actually criticizing um they're criticizing when there is a call for help so we're criticizing our own selves and suddenly it's like well okay parasite you're not that strong so let's all be symbiotic and merge with you to become a super parasite to eat this thing that's that's making you feel down and that's just kind of how the studio works um and it's cool that, it's cool. that sounds i don't cool. know how that would i don't know how it would work on a large scale system mm-hmm. or a large-scale studio like ubisoft or naughty dog or whatnot but i'd like to think that there are some of those practices being done in other studios and people are feeling more empowered and not afraid to ask for help you know so and i think that as developers we obviously you said it earlier you we don't want to kill our babies but it's like a lot of this criticism is, is not misplaced but it's hard to see because we've grown with this child right like we've seen it from the gray blocking phase all the way up to the like uh you know the einstein light bulb moment like oh it works it's working and so we see this in in this form where we're like heavily attached to it whereas outsiders see it in the form that it's it it currently is which is the working form and and they're able to have a much less uh biased opinion they're able to kind of most of the time objectively tell you these are the things that are good with it and these are the things that are bad and these are the things that don't work all together that need to be scrapped and i think that that dichotomy between artists designers uh you know engineers and programmers even the narrative team is is 
invaluable to be honest with you yeah. because we need those all those sets of eyes and and yeah. i think that's i'm sure that in large companies at least at ubisoft we when we open things to company-wide testing i was able to show off some things that i had been working on for months to somebody who is you know eight nine years my senior and and he gracefully tore it down but he was like this isn't good and here's why and i i think mm-hmm. that that's like again invaluable to the game development like team oriented aspect of it right because there's right. a common myth about video <laughs> games where it's like you know two people and we press a couple buttons and yeah and, and so yeah or we just flip the switch and suddenly it's 60 frames per second 4k with unlimited ray tracing you know <laughs> people think that that's how it works um but yeah i get you yeah so it's like it's um the team dynamic is uh again it's 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 basically the backbone if not the spine of the entire game development industry uh, yeah. despite how many faces there are in the marketing, yes. in the PR, and and you know, in the yep. the auteur syndrome of like somebody like Neil Druckmann or somebody like Hideo Kojima, while we yeah. idolize and and, and uh, throw praise and, and and they live lavishly when it comes to because, you know the well, limelight. They they do help they do help steer that massive fucking ship, right? <laughs> yeah. Because there is a person or persons at the top that has the vision and is steering that massive fucking ship, but. It all comes down to those, the backbone, as you said, the fucking spine, um, which is the team, which is able to take what that person uh, steer is steering or giving them and really help bring that vision to coalesce, uh, you know, to coalesce in, in the way it is. So, yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. Is there a common myth about your, specifically the, the narrative design, that I know I'm sure you've seen on the internet or you see people sometimes even in the studio themselves will say to you? Uh, a common myth. Um, well, I don't really see it more so. Oh, so I'll say this. Joel, um, <laughs> Joel doesn't <laughs> like... Joel is not the stickler for story. He finds mm-hmm. it mostly redundant and everything. So it's a consistent, hey... Stop telling me I need to cut this out because it's helping filling out the world and making it more immersive because there's world building aspects and the way I describe things in a narrative way also helps the environmental storytelling. And he's like, the storytelling, the storytelling. And I'm just like, yes, the Ashbourne are set a certain way and they're this way and that way. And these little environmental details tell about and inform the cultural society within the Ashbourne. So it has to be like this. And then, but he's just like, oh, yeah, I want the Ashbourne to be compelling. I'm just like, well, duh, there it is. So it's the aspect of thinking that narrative does not inform every aspect, that the myth is that narrative, even in the simplistic things of a video game, um, does not impact uh, the entirety of a game. Um, It doesn't matter if you're telling The Last of Us or you're telling or you're playing a game like Resogun, um, there is environmental storytelling which comes from the narrative because the narrative informs the look. The narrative will inform why something is like this. That, And it doesn't necessarily have to be said 
you see it and all, automatically your brain is able to connect with these things. And so people often say that, well, in a shooting game like PUBG, narrative isn't necessarily a thing. And I'm just like saying, well, sure, the narrative is not overly stated and there's not words um, that's telling this cohesive story, but there is but there is a story being told and played out in these environments and you could put together what happened or why the world is like this now through some form of history and you can look at certain things of how they are within the environment and say oh maybe this and this and this happened and then suddenly you'll find anecdotal pieces of maybe um intel that kind of tell of something um and hint or allude to something so the narrative is an equally equally strong uh part of the backbone of any video game um whether it's overly stated like narrative heavy video games or understated like games that are strictly purely just gameplay focused the narrative is there um, and it is a fight that every narrative and storyteller will tell you. Um, convincing, uh, convincing the people who don't understand that narrative is an integral part um, in everything. Um, you know, so mm -hmm. um, it's a consistent fight, and that's the myth that we have that we continuously dismiss, that, that we continuously um, blow away every day in the studio <laughs> is there a certain amount of skill sets that you need because i do know that there are and, and people reach out to me and ask me plenty of times and they've done so to to tell me like hey you know can you please get a narrative designer on the show which aha uh -huh, we have now um they're like could you please interview them and ask them like what kind of skill sets do i need what do i need to get in like um what kind of advice is, is there is there anything so, that concrete that you know for sure that's like okay if you need to because as a level designer it's like okay you need to you know you need to study these things you need to understand the the steps it takes to create a level you need to understand um you know uh, game engines and, and and 3d modeling so that you're able to block things out properly is there something like right. that for a narrative designer or is it something um Yes. Something completely so, different. Yeah, so the narrative design has its own um, structure of things that uh, that you'd need. Um, there is a program uh, that I used while I was in college um, for building your own story structure. Um, and it helps you create branching narratives and everything like this and key plot points and... Um, that helps you with building the universe of your narrative and connecting it, helping you connect the dots. Um, the other important thing that I would suggest is um, reading upon cultures and stuff. Find something like it's an arduous task, but find something that you think would be interesting for you to exploit a story from. Um, take a screenwriting uh, a screenplay writing course. Um, most people don't know that, um, you know, when they come into video game writing and writing as a narrative person, um, that screen, 
screenplay writing is also the format that they use in television and movies um, and video games. Um, and writing in prose is good, um, but you have to be able to tell um, and describe a scene with as little amount of text as possible um, and characters. Uh, and you have to do it in screenplay. Um, and you have to be able to do it effectively. And so writing in screenplay format, um, having a course or an understanding, even a, a basic understanding will help inform you because then you're able to translate from a novel into, um, into a scene and do it effectively. And it's a practice. Um, and so that was something that I was shocked about. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go write a prose on everything. Mm -hmm. And the first video game company that I applied for, I applied everything in prose and they were just like, this is very good prose. Now do this in screenplay. And I was just like, what? And they're like, do this in screenplay. Do this in screenplay. And I was just like, well, I only wrote in screenplay for like a semester or two. Like, I don't really like that. And they're just like, well, guess what? This is how we detail scenes. This is how we look at a storyboard and structure a scene. And this is how we place our key shots. This is how we direct our camera. This is how we set up the scene. This is how our, our this is how we're able to set environmental storytelling. This is how we're able to do embedded stories. This is how we're able to tell embedded stories within a single shot. Um, so yeah, great prose, great paragraph, interesting dialogue, but I need this. I need to know where are we? Interior. Time of day. Rooftop. What time? What time of day? Is the wind blowing? How's the camera panning? And you need to be able to describe your scene and transition. Are we fading to black? Are we cutting? Are we intersectionalizing something? Are we displaying two things, two characters at once, split screen and everything like this? All these things are very important. You can get very, very, what's the word? You could get very, very granular and nitty, nitty gritty within um, when you're writing in prose, mm -hmm. but that kind of distinct and everything. We're outside, it's raining, thunders, it, it, we're outside, it's raining, um, the character is sitting um, at a tree overlooking something, and then they talk. And that's basically how you set up a scene. Um, and you that's, that's, that's how you get the important stuff uh, from, say, she was outside, uh, she was caught in the rain, the wind was howling. Her eyes were beat, were covered in dilute. Or, or no, her eyes submerged in a deluge of, you know, extra uh, superfluous fluff that doesn't really necessarily need to be there. Having a screenwriting uh, or a screenplay writing course, um, and I'd say if you're in college, take two to three years of it, um, because you are going to need those kind of things when you go apply, um, and. I'm telling you now, um, most of the video game studios want a 10-page script or less, and, you're, and they want you to do it um, with one of their characters from a video game that's established, and they want a hypothetical story, and they want you to be able to do it in 10 pages or less. 
if you go over that 10 pages, you don't even get a second interview. That sounds so nerve-wracking. It is, like... but it is nerve-wracking, but any, any, and I say this, any person in, that wants to be a narrative director, writer um, within the industry, they want you to have your prose and everything because they're games that do um and you know ancillary um they those are ancillary benefits to the required ones right so games like destiny are very cinematic with how they tell their stories mm -hmm. but they also have their um side content uh you know they have their lore and the lore when you're good at prose you could write lore for you could write lore for days and that's the ancillary benefit that's where it'll come and you'll get to do those things and descriptive stories for lore and whatnot but the, the those same people who are writing the lore also understand how to be minimalistic but also very very descriptive with how they set up a scene and how they set the characters to talk and that's all it is if you're able to give the if you're able to set up the drama and the mood within two lines within two lines you don't need the superfluous the superfluous fluff of a paragraph of just descriptions about where you're sitting you know um and that's the important takeaway that i've learned from all my interview processes and where i'm the places that i'm trying to you know apply to so mm -hmm. yeah well let's... so so yeah resources for those people who are listening but want to get in um so let's dive back a little back into your past here that I, all I wanted to say about that was that screenplay, and, and mind you, until you brought it up, I didn't really necessarily understood how it impacted me because the screenplay writing uh, format is just immensely beneficial to me as a level designer because I don't, I don't care about anything else, right? If mm -hmm. me and an environmental artist are working together and, and we speak to you, if you tell me that it's thundering and booming and, and, it, and it's, it's 12.03, like I, I don't, I don't need to know that. Is it raining? Is it not raining? Is it, yeah. you know, day, evening, midnight? Uh, what, what, you know, where are the characters? What is the latest narrative beat that we need to hit? You know, exactly. is is this level something that is supposed to be downtime in the narrative? Or is it uh, an upbeat mountainous area in the narrative? Like, is this supposed to have a, 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 a mini climax? Is this supposed to, you know what I mean? And Right. For that kind of stuff as a designer i will come in and add that extra stuff and and same thing with the environment artist we'll come in and add that extra stuff down the road but yeah we need that uh explain it like i'm five kind yeah, of yeah. writing that's literally it it saves time and it saves time reading through a script if you know the scene and it's raining you know it's dark out or it's dusk and you know if you'll know if it's either an interior space or you're out in the open um you know like you don't need to get too uh descriptive like you're in a gymnasium your interior gymnasium uh it's crowded and that's all you need to know um exterior trees are uh trees are trees are there it's sunny boom uh 
players right here um, or players right there. Um, you know, those kind of see that's like it took it took it took a little while to get used to that. It took a little while for me to stop wanting to be overly descriptive because when the designers are read and the artists are reading over these things, they're looking at the screenplay and being like, okay, this is it. Okay, this is going on. The storyboarders are like, okay, I could mock up a quick mock scene and do this stuff right here. And they don't need to see how heavy it's raining. They could artistically interpret those things based on the mood of what you're setting and based on how the characters are talking to each other, uh, based on the drama, right? And that kind of creativity, when you start being overly descriptive, you rob them of the ability to infer and create the scene um, in the way that they also picture it. Because like I said, video game is a collective collaborative thing. If you're the art director and you have the narrative designer and you're doing the screenplay, you're constantly chatting with each other and you're relying on your team to interpret those things. And once they've interpreted it, then you can go back and say, okay, a little bit more here, tone this down here, bring this up here, zone in on this thing here, close in on the shot here, tighten this, tighten this camera angle here. Um, and that's how the scene, that's how the drama, that's how everything kind of comes to, comes into focus. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how it works. That's mm -hmm. how it works. Um, and that's, that, that was a pretty, um, interesting thing to, to learn within my interviewing process and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it is nerve wracking, like you said, but like, um, any good person or aspiring person must, 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 you could be good in prose, but you very much need to be able to convey a scene with as little description as possible. Um, and be able to influence the, the imagination that way. Um, that's part of selling yourself and selling your skill and wowing people. Um, and that's how you get your, that's how you get your callbacks and whatnot. So. Yeah. yeah. Like, thank you so much for, uh, you know, un unveiling that process for me because obviously I'm not a narrative designer, but I work with narrative designers. So seeing that it's, equally as impressive a skill set wise to impact my job it's nice to know that you guys have to overcome your own hurdles to make my job easier and then of course you know my job impacts your job because there could be something like your example with the gymnasium right when you say a crowded gymnasium i think you know i'm thinking let's say 100 people and we're wading through the crowd and you're probably thinking exactly. like, no, let's put the crowd on the sides and then there's an event going on. Or somebody yeah. else may say that like, no, let's say the gymnasium, there's an outdoor event and everybody's trying to cram through the, the entranceway in the back. And it's like, yeah. it's crowded that way. And it's very, there's yeah. very so much an open space in the back here where the player enters and we're able to move the camera this way and, and, and. And then I'll say as a level designer, like, why don't we do an overhead camera and, and change our third person to an overhead to kind of really feel like we're wading through the crowd. 
And it's like right. that kind of collaboration is very important. Um, and all of that comes from just as simple as it's a crowded gymnasium. I'm coming down soon. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. And and that's yeah, yeah. yeah and, right. that, and that's uh, just. Friend of mine was just saying hi. So, but yeah. Oh, okay. But but yeah, you're right, man. Um, that's literally the, that's literally the creative process and how narrative is a backbone of the entire process. <laughs> And th and again, that emulates through the entire the process from people that you don't think would be uh, it, it impacted by, right? So this is a combat-heavy game. Let's take the example for The Last of Us, right? If you're writing The Last of Us and this is a combat-heavy section and you say, like, well, you know, this is a, the, the do-or-die moment. This character is, is rising through the ashes. This is the rising action we're about to reach this pivotal point in the story i'll be like right. okay cool so we need to add more enemies we need to add this we need to add that and then we pass that down the line and that narrative structure like you said the backbone emulates all the way down to somebody who is a, a combat director right the combat director would be like well you know now that we have six enemies on screen what kind of kind of story you're trying to tell there and they'll be like well we don't want we want them to be brutal we want this to be a moment where this character really truly earns their keep really truly makes it feel like they they are part of this world that they're uh you know they've killed their own self their own you know the their previous version of themselves and this is their new right. reborn version and so it's like exactly so now you they've got reached the, a turning point in their character mm -hmm. in their character development so now you got the narrative impacting somebody all the way down there on the other side of the building who makes animation loops for combat. And yep. that's, again, that's completely understated. You're correct. It's like completely understated. There's not enough people in, in, in both the consumer side and the developer side that understand that the, the narrative is, uh, you know, we, that, that's, you guys are like the lighthouse in the distance right you guys yep. lead us to shore you guys are are the, the the light at the end of the tunnel and we need that you know or you guys are the lines on the on the road that keep us from you know uh, veering off course into something that it could be completely detrimental to us yeah 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 but yeah Agreed. that's en enough of that i'm sure that that's you know, we're all just preaching and me and you are going to get excited about that but let's Let's reel it back a little bit. Um, you okay. briefly touched on your career in the military, so I kind of wanted to um, kind of ask you if there's anything that you can indulge us on story-wise or, or career-wise there, how, how you ended up um, going from the military to uh, somewhere else completely and entirely. And maybe, hopefully, you maybe draw from that experience into your newfound role of a narrative designer or world narrative designer um yeah so um what is it that uh man so i ended up in the military as sort of a last resort um mm -hmm. because when i was in so i was studying college i was studying at college uh because i wanted that i was still trying to figure out my calling in life um and i drew a lot and i wrote a lot um throughout college um and uh at that time i was also starting to understand that i was gay 
and um, being in college at that point, I just wasn't sure what my career goals were going to be. So I was in school at a, I was in college at a, at a community college in Florida. Um, and I was looking to be a graphics designer because I thought it was cool. I could draw my characters and then do the graphics for them and whatnot, and maybe put them in like a makeshift comic or something. And, you know, sell my comics on the web or something like that. That was that was just one of the lofty things that I was thinking of um, of doing, and th- it was creative and whatnot. But I was getting external pressure from my parents to veer into something more practical. I should be a teacher. I should be a doctor. I should be an engineer because I'm decent with math and I know how to understand the programming language. And I just fought back against that. And so we ended up falling out massively. And then my parents decided that they weren't going to pay for my college anymore. What young, rebellious 17, 18-year-old decides that they're going to pay for their own college and whatnot, working at a McDonald's part-time and going to college full-time? So I said, okay, I can't deal with this anymore. Um... I don't want to deal with this anymore. And college right now is a joke. I don't even know what I want to be. So I'm just going to drop out of college at that point. And I was 21 when my parents made the threat that if I dropped out of college, they would send me back to Jamaica. I was just like, fuck you. I'm not doing that. Love you, mom. Love you, dad. I swear I do. But um, I just decided, nah. Um, let me go join the military and go get some structure in my life and travel and be able to explore my gayness. And that was literally what led me into the military, which is ironic because at the time, the military was very anti-gay and you couldn't explore yourself. However, the freedom came from not being in Florida where my parents had immediate access to me and I could explore myself and explore my creativity and everything else um to my heart's to my heart's desires um as much as the military as much as the military would allow so i joined the navy um moved out to california and immediately started to just kind of take it take it all in and um like i said uh it was 2007 um when uncharted came out and i had a playstation 3 and i played that game and had my oh my god moment i could do this and then immediately after that i started looking at studios and who i could possibly go intern for and everything and try to intern and spoken to and everything and fate would lead me to the doorsteps of insomniac games because in 2008 um tools of destruction was it 2008 or 2009 i can't remember if it was tools of destruction or um a crack in time uh released and insomniac had a community day they used to do these community days off all the time during the playstation uh, three era, mm-hmm. and it was the community day for a crack in time, and I went, and 
I started to ask questions. So I'd met Ted Price and I'd met a whole bunch of others. I'd met um, uh, Gallagher. I don't know if he's still there, um, but um, I met the community director um, who's very much on, uh, you know, who's on Twitter now and everything. Um, I met all of them and I was asking them, how did they get in the industry? How did they started doing this? And I started asking them like, look, I want to write stories. What do I have to take? What are the things that I need to do to get back into this? And they're just like, well, you don't necessarily need to go to school, but here are some of the things that we could tell you from so on and so forth and everything like that. And that knowledge that they gave me stuck with me because after I got out of the military, I did a full seven years after I got out of the military, I went right back into college, left from California, moved to New York and went right back into college, graduated from um, Long Island University. And I hit the books on every talking point that Ted Price and a few of the writers and a few of everybody else uh, gave me uh, tips that they gave me. And I studied those things. And at the time, I only thought that I could get in as a coder. That was my way in. So I studied like hell coding, even though I hated it. Um, and, you know, that was what I led with my feet in. But then once I got in there, I started bullhorning my way out like a true Taurus and was just like, hey, I could write. Let me write. Let me write. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. And eventually that's just kind of how it's where I'm at right now. So um, my military uh, life basically helped me um, explore aspects of my creativity and helped land me in a position or in an area where I would be able to meet with my very first game developer. Um, and I was already a big um, Insomniac fan because I loved Disruptor on PlayStation. I loved um, uh, Ratchet and Clank on PS2 and I loved Spyro. To this day, my brother and I still would play Spyro the Dragon on the original PlayStation. Uh, Spyro 3 is our favorite. So, um, you know, we we know. Um, and making that decision to drop out of college at the time when I was 18, 19, 20, and um, but when I was 20 and joined the military when I was 21, landed me in California. And if I had not gone to California, I would not have met Insomniac. And I probably wouldn't have um, found a way to take everything that they've told me, in addition to playing Uncharted um, and going back to college to finishing and ending up where I am now. So. I have my insomniac moment was CI Games, uh, Sniper Ghost Warrior three, I think. Okay. Uh, yeah. Twenty sixteen. I was at TwitchCon and wow. I met I met these guys. There was a booth panel, and they had a bunch of games set up, and they were like, "Come beta test our little alpha build, you know? Like, come hang out, play oh, the wow. game." Like eight months before it came out. I was like, sure. I sat down and waited in line. Uh, actually, I don't think there was a line. It was just you know there was a free station. Pulled up to the station and um, was fiddling around with the menus. I did everything I possibly can. I was like, okay, cool. Like, this is neat. I just wanted to soak in every little bit of this rough-looking product that I possibly could have, right? And what ended up happening was that the senior level designer came over and was like, hey, what's up, buddy? And I was like, how, how are you? And he was like, you, uh, 
Are you playing the game any? Because I don't really see you playing the game. You haven't moved. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm just inspecting the models. I'm making like I'm. I, I want to know what how the menus are working. I I, I want to know what sound effects you guys use. I want to know what. I just want to know it all. Like I just want to know every bit because I didn't know at this point what I was going to be specializing in. I just knew right. that uh, I had took like a career gap year because I had like came home from college. Like I dropped college and my mom was super upset. Gave her a phone oh, call. Yeah. I was like, you know, I'm leaving my PhD program to um, make games. Yeah. She was not happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They don't get it. They don't get it. So um, my parents didn't get it either. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I was until, like. Until they get it. Yeah, oh, yeah, it didn't click until way down the road, but you know, she was like, You're gonna be a PhD, like you're gonna be a scientist and a physicist, like you're like that's an esteemed job. And I was like, Yeah, but I wanna make games. So I came home and took like a little career gap year, did some odds, uh odd jobs here and at McDonald's, Best Buy, whatever it may be to get by, right? Keep right. the roof over my head. And uh, I kept all the money that uh, UC Berkeley gave me back as a refund, I poured into a computer. It wasn't much. Like, I bought, like, a 6700K, and um, I think the computer ended up, and a 970, the computer ended up being, like, maybe $1,200 or something like that. And Unreal Engine 4 was, at the time, was subscription-based, and it was it just came out free. So I was like, Dude, this I was like, all the things are lining up. Life's great. So I spent like uh, quite a bit of time learning Unreal and 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 Blender and taking courses online and doing everything that I could to possibly. So you you know, were self-taught. Yeah, do everything that I could possibly do because I did, again I didn't know which kind of specialty I was. I was like, I'm just gonna learn how to do everything. Um, I, I don't know color theory. I don't really know how to animate that well. I'm like probably the worst programmer ever <laughs> so <laughs> really i'm like i'm like dang this sucks so i ended up going again going to this uh, uh twitchcon and and he was the one that saved my my career because i was about to kind of give up a little bit i was like oh i'm never gonna make an indie game i'm never gonna do anything and he, and that's when he told me just uh take what you have created and just submit it as like part of your portfolio and just apply to games because or game studios because they're always hiring even when they don't have jobs up on the board they're always hiring they're always looking for people because people are always leaving i was like oh okay cool and then after that happened um he basically told me he was like yeah i I applied to bethesda and like blizzard like once a month like i don't get anything back but i'm like i do it i was like okay cool so i just started shooting my shot and um yeah like your insomniac moment i ended up at Ubisoft on the Watch Dogs Legion project. And so I'm still pretty fresh. Um, but it's like, for me, it was ex- an exciting moment because I felt like the game industry was accommodating me. Like, they were like, yes, this is a moment where I felt like I belonged here. I, I felt like I um, wanted to be here. So I ended up getting a a specialty gig doing level design. And, and I don't know, I just fell in love with it. I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, I I like that story, man. Um, You never know where you end up based on just taking the chance. Um, And people think, look, the game industry is very intimidating because you don't know where to start. And I guarantee you, everybody 
everybody um everybody's been there where they learn the jack where they become a jack of all trades because they think that the only the only avenue is the coding avenue or whatnot but um and they need to have a game made or something and the truth is you don't um you just need to have something and you need to shoot your shot um at whatever it is um because if you're applying then somebody will answer somebody will always answer but if you're not applying 100 percent of the time you're not getting anything so mm-hmm. just do it um and you can't be scared um and that's information everybody should take with them um if at anything if you want to get in this industry no matter what it is um take an aspect and go for it and lastly um where would you like to see the future of the game industry go and and tell me a little bit more about your predictions for the rest of the generation i want more fucking story games i don't want live service games i want story games but um that's that's me that's me but I predict that there's going to be some sort of synergy where live service does meet an evolving, breathing, narrative story-based game where uh, things you do in one season will come back and impact a story um, in in maybe three or four seasons down the road, maybe two or three years down the road. Um, And it's these kind of interlocking... Uh, stories that uh, excite me about video games um, in a way that uh, excites me as a narrative designer. Um, and so while I want the big the big blockbuster action story games like what I get with my Gears of Wars and my Spider-Mans and my Uncharted's and my Last of Us and God of Wars and so on and so forth, I do see a healthy way to be to tell those same kind of impactful stories but also spread over time where they come back with a vengeance with different um different things down the road Mm -hmm. and they evolve and leave players coming back and engaged so i'm looking forward to seeing the industry kind of merge the two um because it's an online and it's multiplayer and it's massive but these interesting story beats can also happen um and i'm seeing that with destiny which is why i'm forever um caught up in that universe because of how they're able to do it um and you know so that's where i'm at do you think that cloud computing i may hear just hear me out here right because i don't know if this is something that you're super well versed in right but it is coming up on the horizon so we do have to keep an eye open on it um and everybody listening at home this is soon i don't know maybe five years from now maybe 10 years from now who knows but i'm i'm predicting the end of this uh, generation, we're going to definitely see it play a larger role than it does in the beginning here in 2022. Yeah. But do you think that cloud computing, given that the flexibility, scalability, and the stability of that kind of uh, hardware and those kind of benefits that it gives the developers when it comes to 
removing traditional limitations, memory requirements, you know, high graphical capabilities, um, storage. That's a huge issue, right? Because eventually games are going to get so large that it'll be cheaper to fly a hard drive across the nation than it is to actually send it over, you know, over the internet. Um, right. When it comes to that kind of scalability, flexibility, and stability, do you think that cloud computing will definitely help impact these kinds of stories and, or at least bridge I the gap think, between the two? I think, I think um, it will. Um, how and in what markets and well and how saturated it will become will definitely um be accelerated in markets that are already developed to have that infrastructure um like first world countries and places with very very strong internet the hurdles to getting that um accelerated is the greed that comes from the internet service providers um with data and data hoarding and commanding those spectrums. Um, and it's going to become very, very, very uh, difficult, a hurdle. Not, not difficult a hurdle to, uh, to get over. Um, but that's not something that is my concern, so to speak, mm -hmm. because games are going to continue to evolve. And I honestly think that that's the avenue that they're going to move forward to um, as we move forward, because things are working in remote, uh, there's more stuff, there's more that you could get from the cloud and everything. Um, the infrastructure isn't matured yet to, to do that, but it's accelerating there and it's going to start to accelerate itself within the next few years. Um, they're already doing stuff and they're already making these investments in it. But that isn't something that I expect to be prominent within the next five. I think, I think if 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 we're if I'm being the realist here, we'll start to see most of those things start to play out in the next eight to ten years, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where I think the future is going to be for all these things. And um, the physical media people are going to hate it, um, but. You know, that's just one of the aspects that that's one of the hurdles that they're going to need to be able to preserve um, the legacy and still respect the legacy while effectively transitioning into this digital future. Mm -hmm. um, and there's going to be ways to do that respectfully, but we don't know how yet. Yeah. And I'm not that smart to do. I'm not that smart <laughs> to figure that out. So, yeah, we're we're still a, in an area of paving the way, but also laying the roadwork. So yeah. it's very very hard to kind of say because you know there is no template. This is this is very so yeah. much the early two thousands in, in in shooter genres, right? Like we right. haven't right. mapped aiming and 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 shooting to L two and R two or left trigger right trigger yet. It, so. You know, games are shooting with the square button and, and the R1 and, and all these extra stuff. It's like we're until there is uh, industry giants that comes along that not only is able to pave the way fast enough, but also, um, you know, create the way fast enough. I, I don't think I think that realistically, yeah, you are right. Like eight to 10 years sounds like a fair, fair time because Ubisoft scalar technology, cloud computing uh, situation is only getting up in the air here this year 
and mm-hmm. we won't see an impact on their stories or their games or if if anything in in the next uh, f- five or so years so i'm hoping yeah. that um i'm hoping that maybe microsoft azure or sony uh is able to leverage this kind of cloud computing to kind of benefit their games as a service in the vein of something like that you love so heavily um yeah destiny you know if there is able to be another destiny or e- even if uh, another narrative experience that connects the the infrastructure uh, of the previous you know uh road to the newest ones it's like we're able to yeah. have this situation where uh you will continually play an evolving story um that comes back and back and back and it's not so much how we previously had it where world of warcraft where it's just you know drop a new expansion and then that, that's it you know, we yeah. move forward and forward and forward where now it becomes a a, a narrative where it's overarching and, and you're living through it in real time, but also able yeah. to go back and, and experience it in real time and get caught up, um, much yeah. like um, uh, a TV show, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the way to, I think that's the future, um, how we get there and how we respect the legacy of those things is going to be the trickier question mm-hmm. um, and the trickier problem to fix. Um, but, but yeah, luckily my, luckily my focus though is 100% squarely focused on, uh, <laughs> you know, telling that story that's going to impact um, a, a kid or make um, make a young child or a young adult. Uh, have an epiphany that they want to tell stories mm-hmm. and they'll tell meaningful stories that impact somebody else. Um, and normalizing uh, everybody um, to great stories all around. And mm-hmm. when I say everybody, I don't just mean every white person, but I mean everyone on earth. Everyone, everyone on earth. Yeah, everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Um, so I guess we are closing here, and it's been quite a wonderful time uh, for me in just listening to your stories and picking your brain a little bit. Uh, I just have a couple, two closing questions for you. One, uh, what's one piece of advice you can share with the listeners? I know you dropped a, a bombshell of knowledge on us earlier in the uh, in this episode, but uh, if you can just magic up something really really quickly for us is there something that's uh drives you and when it comes to advice to share with the listeners ask all the fucking questions ask all the questions in the world um because um ask it from the professionals uh who you look up to um they people in the game and industry do not hoard information. They love to impart that knowledge. The problem is they get way too busy in their professional field that they never freely impart that knowledge because they don't have the time. But if you are inquisitive and you're curious and you want to know how something works, ask and they will tell you freely. They will actually stop and make the time at that point to answer and to enlighten you because every, this is a very 
it's a very collaborative um it is a very collaborative industry and um everybody in this industry knows the barriers to entry and they want a way to lower that barrier barrier of entry so that any and everyone can get in whoever wants to get in and so um they're working on ways on doing that but they also understand that it's not happening fast enough so ask ask all the questions in the world whatever you're curious about ask an expert ask um a subject matter ask somebody with the with knowledge of the subject matter and if they don't know somebody one of their contemporaries will know and um because it's a, such a collaborative industry um they will all chime in and it become this massive thread where suddenly uh they're talking and you're being overwhelmed with too much information so do not be afraid ask and what was your second question and my second question is where can listeners learn more about you um twitter uh i'm on twitter um at dz devs uh talk to me i um i love chit-chatting about video games i love chit-chatting about writing i love chit-chatting about everything um very 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 much a joker um with certain things but i could buckle down and get serious about anything or any topic um so like don't ever be afraid to ask um that's basically how i ended up on the show because die here shot his shot asked the question in the middle of the dark and i'm here now talking to you guys so yeah so again thank you so much for joining me on the show if you have any questions for me feel free to air them out now but uh it's been again a wonderful time with you to sp first to speak formally with you for the first time uh, we I appreciate that. Obviously, man. spoken. I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead. I do have a question for you. How do you get these? How do you have such rapid clapbacks for all these people who want to drag you? Because I see this all the time, and you fire back with these really, really witty comebacks, man. I'm never that fast. <laughs> I'm fast. Um. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I, I try to, uh, what I do is I, I tell myself, please, no cursing, no, uh, no insults. I need something that, that when I dig, I, I want to dig in deep. I want to dig into the point that, uh, you know, like a mic drop moment, right? Because right. a lot of people, you know, obviously working for Ubisoft, it's, it's not uh, new information to be like the world's most hated company. Um, so to me, I'm like, I'm used to it. I have thick skin. It is what it is. But when people right. say rude things to me, it, to me, I, I, obviously I've said this before. I, I don't pride myself in being a game developer before a, a gamer. I, I also find myself to be just a normal person, just who happens to work at big companies. Um, Same. but when, when I'm in, put in a position where, um, unnecessary negativity comes my way i i do feel a strong urge to uh put somebody in their place when it you know respectfully i guess is the right word um or in a place where i feel like i'm able to uh you know um if somebody if if a coworker or somebody is uh, admiring my work 
or uh, a company is inquisiting my work, I'm like, I didn't say anything rude. I didn't do anything wrong. Um, right. So yeah, I, I think that's that's where it, where it, where it comes from is is really putting those parameters on myself so that I I'm able to I I have to think I have to come up with something quick or I have to some come yeah. up with something witty because you know it, insults are very easy to just hurl and 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 leave that way but coming up with something that really digs is um yeah. you know that's it's almost an impossible task in, in a quick form like that. <laughs> well then um honestly bro it's been a pleasure um interacting with you on twitter but also having this formal conversation and insight into each of our lives i've actually learned plenty of things about you that i never knew and it's also been profound and inspiring on my end so thank you um and thank you for helping giving me a platform to sit down and talk to some people as well i like i said um like everybody in the in the industry uh we want to bring the access um uh the access or the ability to access everything um down to the lowest 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 uh level of access that we can and um this is a very effective way to go about it. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for your kind words and, and speaking highly of me. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening at home, at work, wherever you may be on the drive home. Uh, this has been Industry Insider. This has been our very esteemed guest, uh, Sev D. Uh, again, world narrative designer at Fireslug, working on Ashbourne, um, and just overall stand-up person. You can find him on Twitter. I have that linked in the description of both the video, if you're watching on the video form, or if you're listening on a podcast, I have that information in the description. So thank you so much for tuning in to Industry Insider. 